Lord Jesus, you are good. Lord, you are faithful. And even when circumstances surround us, Lord, uh, uh, is disturbing and troubling and stressful and, and it can break us down and cause us to worry and doubt and fear, Lord, remind us that you walk with us. You walk with us, you go before us, and you are a rear guard as well. Remind us, Lord, of your presence and your Holy Spirit in our life. Lord, as we get into your word, and may your spirit encourage us and remind us of the joys of walking with you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you find yourselves people watchers? Anyone, you, you, any of you are people watchers? Not in a creepy way, right? I'm not talking like a creepy way. I'm, I'm talking about like you just like observe people. Any of you? None of you? Okay. How many of you have observed how people walk? Have you noticed how people walk? People have a different way of walking. And usually, you know, what, they've done a lot of studies about observing how people walk and how it may relate to personality. I don't have my, the, the clicker, so. So some people, we got it, all right. So as it's coming up. So there have been studies about how people walk and whether or not you can tell someone's personality, thank you, by the way they walk. So they, they've, they've done some research about observing how people walk and whether or not if people walk a certain way, you can tell people's personality, right? And so what they found is that there actually isn't necessarily a consistent correlation between how someone is perceived and how that person self-identifies in terms of their personality, right? So there's not a, always a consistent correlation between, let's say, if I'm observing one of you, how they walk, how I note and how I put personality upon you to how you would define yourself when it comes to how you walk, right? So in other words, like when someone would look, if someone has a particular way of walking, they have a, a long stride. I, I got to make sure I don't go out of camera, right? A long stride. They have a loose gait about them. They look a little more confident, right? When you look at someone who walks that way, you may look at, you may think that that person is maybe more adventurous. Maybe they're a little bit more extroverted or more confident, Right? As opposed to someone who walks a little slower, smaller steps, a tighter gait, if you will. Those, those people who walk that way tend to be viewed or perceived as perhaps a little more neurotic, a little bit more going through some emotional things, maybe depression or anxiety or more introverted, right? What the studies show, of course, is that, or as I mentioned, is that there's not necessarily a correlation of how one is perceived to how that person identifies himself. Perhaps they walk a certain way because maybe they have a physical ailment, right? So maybe that they, they walk that way. Or maybe they walk fast, but really inside, they're an anxious person, or they have fear, right? So there's not necessarily that 
correlation. So what they, they found out and what, what you kind of gather from those studies is that perception, how you walk, leaves a strong perception about yourself. It may not necessarily reflect how you personally are, but it presents an impression, how you go. So people perceive you a certain way. So there is a strong correlation of the perception. And it made me kind of think about it and realize that we can really be very good masters of disguise, right? We can be very good masters of disguise. We could try to intentionally present ourselves a certain way, but not necessarily reflect how we are inside. It can go both ways, right? Some of us are not very good disguisers. Some of us in our walk, we are really showing how we are inside, whether it's walking confidently or walking very slowly and meandering and a tight gait and so forth, right? And it made me kind of think about how it's very true in different areas in our life that we can present something a certain way and it could either to cover up how we really are or we, we present ourselves a certain way and it tr- is a true reflection of ourselves. And I think when we talk about our walk with God, it's very much that way. For some people, they could be good masters of disguise. They know what to present to make it look like a healthy walk. Some people are more honest. <laughs> They're just right out there, right? Whether it's a healthy one or an unhealthy one. Why do I bring that up? Last week we looked at Enoch. We looked at the generations of Ad, from Adam to Noah, the 10-person generations that had gone through. And of that 10-person generation that we looked at, there was only two people who had a positive report, right, of that genealogy. And we looked at one of them, and his name was Enoch. I mentioned that we we're going to look at Noah today. I'm going to push it to next week. Okay, but Enoch was the only one of that 10 in the passage we read, we looked at, that had a positive report. And what was that positive report? What did that one man be known for of everything else? It was that he did what? He walked with God. He walked with God. And I mentioned that all throughout Scripture, walking is used as a symbol or to help you imagine how you live your life. Right? How you live your walk with God. How many of you used that phrase before? How's your walk with God? Or are you walking with the Lord? Right? Both Old Testament and New Testament uses this, this symbolism, this, this metaphor, this analogy to describe how we live our life. And so we can see how it's very appropriate about using the term walking, right? Walking is an action. Walking requires that you move, you're going forward, you're going somewhere, there's a destination you're headed to, right? There's a manner in which you walk. You walk with someone, right? I mentioned walking with with Max, right, my dog. Walking with your dog is different than walking with, say, your spouse, hopefully, right? Hopefully there's a difference. Or walking with your kids. It's funny when you watch parents walk with their kids, what does it look like oftentimes? Either the kid is way up ahead or way behind, right? When you see a kid walking with their parents side by side talking, what's the impression? You're like, whoa, 
I haven't seen that before, right? But walking is an important picture of understanding our life with God. But walking is also a noun as well, right? Your walk, how's your walk doing? I went for a walk that period of time, that moment. So we're going to take a look at our life with the Lord, but we're going to look at it in a different context. It's an action context. Paul's going to bring in a different analogy, a similar but different analogy. And we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul says this. He's describing his perspective on life, how he lives his life. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath or perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. So here Paul uses athletic competition. I love Paul, right? You know me, I like sports. So he uses this analogy of an athletic competition as a metaphor for how he approaches his life. And his perspective of life and ministry go hand in hand, right? If you've read the Apostle Paul's letters at all, you don't get the sense that Paul compartmentalized his life right it's like okay here's my personal life here's my ministry life here's my leisure life he doesn't we don't get that picture of Paul he pictures his life and his ministry all hand in hand and he's saying this perspective of how he views his life he says do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize run in such a way that you may win. This validates my sense of competitiveness, right? He says, picture life as a race. Right, like in any race, all the participants start at the same spot. They all enter the race, they start the same. Well, when it goes, not everybody runs the same way, right? He says, when you run a race, run to win right? There's a first place, a second place, and a third place. While second and third get medals, right? They didn't win, right? They didn't win the race. They just got acknowledged for coming in second or third. Paul says, run in such a way that you may win. He goes on in verse 25, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. So again, Paul continues with this analogy. He compares the drive that athletes show to win what is really a temporary reward, right? A temporary crown. You know, of course, athletes say, you're always a champion, right? Nothing can take that away. And that is true. But each year, there's another champion, right? So you were the previous champion. You weren't the current champion, right? Paul compares that. You look at the athletes, their drive to win. And their drive to win is to win something that is perishable. 
It doesn't last. It easily can easily decay. He says, compare that with competing for an imperishable crown, a crown that does not decay, that is for eternity. And if it made me think about how we can be so motivated by the most fleeting things in life, right? What motivates us? And how fleeting is that moment? Those thrills that we seek after often only last, what, seconds? Right, they last seconds. We get it. We get a moment of thrill and excitement and a sense of accomplishment. And then have you ever had something that you worked so hard for, you dedicated for, and you actually got it? And then you're like, now what? Now what? I'm here. I have it. Now what's next? We often go on from moment to moment, reward to reward, trying to capture some thrill or a sense. And we work so hard for some things. He says, that's fine and good, that's okay. But how much more should we seek after the imperishable? The ones that last forever. See, many people think that those different achievements we get in life, that that's the goal, right? So many approach life as like, oh, these, these achievements, that's what we need to do. That's our goal in life, right? To, to get a job, to earn money, to be able to retire, to have X amount of kids, to have my kids go do X amount of things. For me to go here, to go there, and we, we think of life as this checklist of accomplishments that we want to reach before our last breath. As if that's our goal. Paul says, look, Athletes compete for something that perishes, but we for an imperishable crown. Paul puts our life into proper perspective that our ultimate goal and reward is not a checklist of things that we need to accomplish before we die. Not even the things that we say is for the Lord, right? We would say, oh, this is going to be for the Lord, so I want to be a leader, I want to do this, I want to do this ministry, and we look at our ministry as these checklists. Right? That may be fine and good. That may be fine and good. But are we perceiving it the right way? And we see how this perspective of Paul, his perspective and his goal, affects how he runs his life, how he runs his race. Verse 26, therefore, right, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave. Lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. He says, here's, here's my perspective of life. Therefore, this is how I run my race. This is how I live my life. And we're going to see six qualities of Paul here. Six qualities of how he runs his race. And how he encourages us to run our race. And the first quality we see is that he's motivated, right? Paul's motivation, his drive, that motivation drives him to run to win. Now, I'll clarify what that means to run to win, right? He says not everyone is motivated by the prize. Not everyone is motivated to 
for the prize. Now, some of us have different degrees of competitiveness, right? Right? When you play like sports at church, church sports, right? I have to like turn off a certain switch in my mind, that competitive switch to know that some people are just happy to participate. And then I have to say, you know what? That should be okay. To be okay to just participate and not have the drive to win. So I have to intentionally turn, turn that dial down a little bit. Unless it is competitive, then I can ratchet rat, rat it back up, right? We're going to play to win. Right? When you play ping pong, some people are just okay with just rallying. I can do that for a little while. And then it's like, all right, let's play a game, right? Let's have something to win, right? Paul's motivation is like, I'm going to run my race as if to win. He shows this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Look at Paul's motivation. Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He goes on, and, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul's motivation? His motivation is knowing Christ, knowing Jesus, participating in the resurrection of Christ, but also his motivation is of the future blessing, right? Of his, what's go, going to come. And that was Paul is not content to think, well, you know what? I'm already in. I believe in Jesus, I'm saved, I'm good. Now I can just coast the rest of my life. I'm good, I'm in, I'm stamped. I can do whatever I want. That's not Paul's mentality. Paul is not content with just sitting on the couch and letting time pass by as he wants. He says, I do not want to live like I've already arrived. I don't want to live like I've already arrived. I'm going to live as though I am not there yet. My journey is not done yet. There is more to do. How many of you follow professional sports? Follow professional sports? Okay. If you follow professional sports, you know that salaries of professional sports have gone crazy, right? right? The most, most uh, rich most well-paid athletes are reaching about nine-figure salaries, right? Not per year, but nine-figure contracts, okay? So if you're a professional athlete, your great motivation is to get that big contract. Especially in different sports, it's not a given. So your motivation is to get at least that first big contract. 
Well, what does happen at times in professional sports is you'll have an athlete that comes along and he's having a phenomenal season. And maybe it's just one season that's just an amazing season. And so it makes the ownership say, you know what, we need to lock this person up. So they get their big contract. Well, now that person made it. They got their big contract. What sometimes happens, though, is that now that they've made it, their motivation isn't the same. And you may see at times that person who got their big contract, their play drops off a bit. Their play is not as strong, not as motivated. See, Paul is not living as though he had made it and is just content with just making it in. Paul is motivated, but Paul is also focused, right? Motivation and focus are two different things. His focus, his eye is on the prize, right? He's focused on the prize, and he can't wait to fully realize what he's placed his faith in. He believes in Jesus. He knows Jesus now, but he knows he will fully know him in eternity, He knows that he participates in Christ's death and resurrection now. He is made new. But he also knows that he will fully realize that in the resurrection. One day he will receive a new body. One day he will be face to face with the Lord. He knows the Lord now. He enjoys knowing Jesus more and more now. But he says, look, I will fully know him. We will fully know him. His eye is on the prize. His eye is on God's work. Not all the things that he could accomplish on his own. Paul's not distracted with life. He's not distracted with those things that he, it forget, he forgets his focus, where he's, play, where he's supposed to focus on. And it made me think about that too. How easily we get so distracted by so many things in life. A lot of it is those checklists too, right? We get distracted by the checklists. We get distracted by the financial situation in this world. We get distracted by the the news. We get distracted by these global events. We get distracted by our families. We get distracted by the relationships. All these things that pull us from our focus on the Lord. Even our leisure time. And occasionally I'm I'm reminded. I'm reminded of how, how merciful God is. You know what I mean? God allows us to fill our time with the most superficial things. You know what I mean? God can easily be a tyrant with our, our, our time spent. You know? If we want to see a movie, I think it's well, God is well in position to be able to say, what are you doing watching a movie? You should get out there on the field, right? What are you doing spending time watching this? God is merciful to us to allow us to have our our leisure moments more than we probably should. Man, I've been so frustrated lately with sports. Sometimes I wonder, why did I get into sports to begin with? My teams disappoint me. And yet, like, I'm a glutton for punishment. I still watch it. And I thank God. I'm like, God, I, I know you allow me to watch these things. You're so patient with me, right? Paul is motivated, he's focused, he also shows self-control. 
Paul uses the work habits and discipline of a trained athlete. He says, and everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. That word exercises self-control, to exhibit self-government, to govern yourself, the ability to govern yourself. Top athletes are typically extremely regimented. They know exactly what they're putting in their body. They have an exact time of when they work out, how long they work out, how much time they focus on different muscles and different movements and those things. They're highly regimented, right? The top athletes are very disciplined. And the reason they're very disciplined is because their work, their profession requires them to be fully disciplined and master and control the muscle movements, right? To be able to move a certain way, to get your body to move and do certain things, right? He says, have self-control in all things. And now there's knowing what to engage in, what to avoid, knowing your triggers. What are those things that you get so easily tempted by? What are some things that you ought to find yourself being mastered over? Remember we looked at Cain? What was God's warning to Cain? when he was upset or he was disturbed that his offering was not regarded by God and his countenance fell. What did God say to Cain? Cain, don't you know that if you just do what is acceptable, you're good. But sin is lying, waiting, lurking at your door, but you must master it. God was telling you, you need to have self-control. Of course, we know one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control, right? The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions. It's interesting. We tend to think of the fruit of the Spirit as like God taking over our body in a moment. Have you ever thought that about the fruit of the Spirit? We think that it's just God taking control of us, causing us to do things we wouldn't normally do. I think sometimes I've thought perceived fruit of the spirit that way but it made me really kind of think what is the fruit of the spirit the fruit of the spirit the evidence of the whole of the spirit in our life is that we find ourselves being and doing these things loving others being gentle being patient showing kindness and showing self-control That is the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life, that you are showing self-control, that you are showing love to other people, right? What is our theme of the year? I presented this in the beginning of the year. The theme of the year is bearing fruit. That's a challenge to us, that we want to see the Holy Spirit, the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and us bearing fruit of that faith, of that relationship with God. What is that relationship with God producing? What is that faith in God producing? I'm not talking about works righteousness stuff. I'm not talking about like we're earning something from God, right? But I'm talking, what is the evidence of God's work in our heart, our faith in Christ? Is it producing fruit? 
Are we more patient? Do we find ourselves showing more self-control? So Paul says, just like an athlete who shows self-control in all things, he says, look, I'm gonna discipline myself. He's also intentional and effective. Intentional and effective. He says, therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in a way as not beating the air. Now, if you look outside, right, if, if you don't know if you're watching or listening, if you look outside, you see AYSO, right, in season, little kids playing soccer. I love watching little kids play soccer, right? I, I had our little daughters, our, our daughters when they were young, playing soccer. I describe young soccer as kids running around the ball, right? They don't exactly know the objective of, I gotta score a goal and win. They just kind of run around, and if they happen to kick the ball, they kick the ball, but sometimes you'll see a kid running this way, some kids are running the opposite way, they're running all over the place, right? They may not be running with aim. How many of you have an older sibling? How many of you, your older sibling did something to you that made you want to just give them one? You don't have to raise your hand. And so you were ready, and you wanted to punch them, but all they had to do is extend their arm, put their palm on your forehead, and you were swinging away, and all you were doing is swinging air. Remember those moments? Maybe you were that sibling. Or maybe this happened to you on the playground as a kid or something like that, right? You were there and you were just swinging the air and not hitting anything. A boxer, a trained boxer is so disciplined, their punches are exact. They're meaningful. They're setting up for the other punch. Paul says, look, I don't run aimlessly, just doing stuff just to do it, just to look like I'm doing something. I don't box as like I'm beating the air. It's pointless. I'm just swinging. Well, I'm just swinging away, you know. At least I'm doing something. He's intentional and effective. See, intention must be followed up with effectiveness, right? Intentions could be good. You can intend to do something, but if it doesn't have an effect that it's good, then it's just actions, Right? Paul is so intentional and effective in how he sees his life. He doesn't live with uncertainty. He lives with intentionality. He lived to spread the gospel. He knew his role. Yes, he wanted to see nothing more than anything else to see his brethren, his fellow Jews, to come to Christ. But he also knew his role. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. And I think this is a lesson we, we learn throughout our lives, right? That we have to constantly maintain, constantly keep in focus. What is our intentions? And are we being effective in those attentions? Even in our moments, we don't know where we're going, right? Some of you are at different points in your life that it's unknown, uncertain. You're trying to find your way, and you're like, I don't know where I'm supposed to go, what I'm supposed to do. And maybe you already feel like you're in your way and you're not content with where you are and you're wondering if you need a change in your life. Wherever God may take you, wherever you may go, may we have the intention and the desire to be effective to say, God, wherever you lead me, wherever I may go, may I have the intention to honor you, 
may I have the intention to glorify you with whatever you may take me, whatever you present in my life. And Lord, help me to be effective for you, purposeful for you. Uh, Go on. Fifth thing, Paul was weathered, he had weathered discipline. He had weathered discipline. What do I mean by that? Paul says, but I buffet my body and make it my slave. In other words, he disciplines, he disciplines by hardship. He says he makes it my, he makes his body his slave. In other words, he subjects it to stern and rigid discipline. Paul says, look, I am a product of weathered discipline. I'm not saying he beats himself up, right? I don't think that's what he's meaning. I'm not saying he goes in his room and just gives himself some punches, you know? I don't think that's the point. He is weathered, he is disciplined by his struggles, by his hardships, but also he has a disciplined life. Boxers, when they train, they don't train themselves by pampering themselves. They don't get ready for a fight to say, you know what, I'm just going to live my life near the pool, get myself nice and relaxed, so when I get to the fight, I'm just calm. That's not a good boxer. I remember there was a report that they were thinking in the military to lessen the strenuousness of training the soldiers. And I remember my initial thoughts are, I don't know what that means, but my initial thought was, I don't know if I want my soldiers to have less strict training. I want them to be as trained for the rigors of of conflict as possible because they're disciplined. They're ready. And Paul was, had weathered discipline. Hardship produced discipline in his life and made him more disciplined, not bitter, not complaining, right? We complain, we get bitter when we have hardship. We have difficult times. We have to wake up at, uh, I don't know, we were talking about earlier about, you know, we had daylight savings, right? So we go like, oh, yes, we get an hour extra sleep. But what happens when you woke up at 5.30, like someone said, right? You wake up early as you normally do. You have an extra hour of sleep, but you can't go back to sleep. We get bitter. We complain. But Paul, his hardship created discipline. The last thing, integrity. Paul says, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now that sounds absurd, doesn't it? Can Paul actually think that he would be disqualified? Of all people, right? If Paul could run as if thinking like he could be disqualified, what about us, right? I don't think that's what Paul means. A lot of people have asked this question. Can you lose your salvation, right? Maybe you've asked that. Maybe you've been asked that before. I'm not going to get into a full thing about that. But I think Paul addresses this concern here because I think that asks a dangerous question. When people ask that question, can you lose your salvation, a lot of times people are really asking, can I do too much sin? Can I do certain sins that would disqualify me from salvation? And so many times it's hard to answer certain people because you don't want to say, yes, you can, or no, you can't, and it causes them to do, re- respond in not very healthy ways, right? 
how Paul addresses this, what he's getting at. He says, I run my race in such a way that if it was even possible, I would not give myself opportunity to be disqualified. That after I have preached, that I can know that there's nothing I did that would disqualify me. What's he saying? I live my life, I run my race with integrity. To give no opportunity, that is not a question in my mind that I would be disqualified. Can you imagine if God treated us like a football game, like refs? You know, there's nothing more frustrating than a team is marching down the field and they have a great play, they score, and then what comes out? The yellow flag. Penalty. Can you imagine if God did that to us? We're going about our day, we see a flag drop down from the sky. Right? Cursing for the 1,955th time today. Five-yard penalty, repeat, third down. Again, right? Can you imagine if God did that to us? Through penalty flags every time we did something wrong? Isn't it a praise that God doesn't do that? He shows us mercy in so many different ways. How Paul runs his race. He says, I run my race to win. Again, it's not competing with others. That's not what he's getting at. We're not competing with each other who can do more for God. Nor is it that we're competing to run a race to win over other people. What Paul's point is that his motivation to run is such as if to win. That drive to keep going. To not be satisfied with just getting by. Just getting in. It makes us ask ourselves, do I have the right motivation in my life? Am I living my life with the right motivation? What motivates me more? The paycheck, the retirement, the children, their future, all these things. Is that my primary motivation in my life? Or can I be motivated by something even more than that? Am I more motivated by my relationship with others or with Christ? Second thing to think about, focused, eye on the prize. Am I distracted with the busyness of life? Am I so distracted with all the things around me that my eye is not on the eternal prize of what God has and what I could be doing for the kingdom of God? Self-control. What areas in my life do I need to show more self-control? I'm not just talking about, okay, there could be dieting, right? Some people, man, they're so obsessed about diet self-control, right? You can be regimented with your diet, but everything else is kind of just out of, out of whack. Are there areas in my life that I need to show more self-control? Maybe the binging has gone a little too much, right? Three seasons in a row, in a week. Maybe that's too much. I don't know, right? 
Fourth thing, intentional and effective. How can I be more intentional for the kingdom of God? How can I be useful for the Lord? Where I am and where I'm going. We all have desires and dreams or what you want to do, where you go. Say, God, with these things, can you give me the attention to glorify you with wherever I'm at and whatever I'm doing? That you be glorified. That I can be effective for you in some way. Whether discipline, how can my challenges shape me to be more disciplined? You're going through stuff, going through hardships, or it's a matter of you need to be more regimented, whatever it is, does it produce discipline in your life? And then lastly, integrity. What do I need to avoid in my life that's hindering me? What are things in my life that, okay, I may be presenting a certain way to other people. They see my walk, and they think, oh, look at that person. They got it going on. Faithful, going to church, worshiping. I even see them raise their hands. Man, now that's a spiritual person if they're raising their hands during worship. I can actually hear them when they sing. Wow, they go to Bible study. All those things can be well and good if it's evidence of the fruit. But we need to be walking with integrity, right? All to say, how we walk is important. Who we're walking with is important. Where are we walking is important, right? Our walk with the Lord is important. And I want to encourage us to evaluate our own walks with the Lord and allow God to walk with us in each point of our lives, each circle in our life. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we just, Lord, we look at the athletes and we say, wow, look at that drive. Look at that play. Look what they were able to do and accomplish. But Lord, that didn't just happen. Came with training, discipline, sacrifice, self-control, motivation. And we look at that, Lord God, as something that is so perishable. We look at our own lives Lord, can we be so motivated for you? Lord, I pray that as we walk with you, that Lord, we would just run our life, run our race in such a way that we can't wait to see you. We're motivated by you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness, Lord. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's worship together.